0: You start to question your value. You start to question your self worth. Like the more money you got, the more successful you are. And most people really do buy into that.
1: But really, I just needed a break.
0: What I love is helping people.
1: I'm Julie Bauke, and welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. Living and working in alignment is the sweetest of sweet spots. And determining what matters most to you is the first step in getting there. I'm Julie Bauke. Welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. Don't we all deserve that? The world deserves you at your best, and so do you. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by one of my friends and professional colleagues, who's an interesting guy, I promise. His name is Joe Boyd, and he is the CEO of Rebel Pilgrim. Now, first of all, most people are thinking Rebel Pilgrim, huh? What's a Rebel Pilgrim? First of all, what is Rebel Pilgrim, and how did you come up with that name?
0: Sure. Uh, so uh, Rebel Pilgrim is a, we're a creative agency and a production company. So the bulk of what we do is produce uh, videos and commercials and e- live events for for people. Um, and the the name actually started I, I i started a film production company many years ago uh so i started the llc and rebel pilgrim was a tag that i used uh back in the in the dark ages i was blogging on blogger
1: okay uh, i was one of the first bloggers
0: <laughs> and uh, i just i liked the idea of uh Being on a journey, which is the pilgrim part, and then doing it a little differently than everybody else, which is the rebel part. So when it came time to launch our business eight years ago, I already had the LLC set up. It's a really lazy story, right? But as we as I talked through my founding partners about the the name, it seemed to really work for all of us and what we wanted to do.
1: I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we don't. I uh, you know, pilgrim as the root of pilgrimage, Mm -hmm. you know, really does um, bring up that visual of a journey. I think we don't, you know, when I think of rebel pilgrim, I think of, you know, the the Thanksgiving pilgrims with ear piercings and tattoos and stuff. And, you know, <laughs> right. saying I'm having ham today. S-
0: some of our early logos were rebel Thanksgiving pilgrim faces, but yeah. it didn't quite work out. It
1: yeah, was, yeah. So was, how many years ago was that, that you came up with that name?
0: I mean, that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Probably. Okay.
1: Okay. And you're still on a pilgrimage. You're still on a journey.
0: For sure. <laughs> and you're
1: still a rebel.
0: I think so. I'm trying. It's harder when you get older. It is, isn't it? Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's usually something that's associated with people who are younger. Yeah. But I agree. I think we can be rebels at all ages. So creative agency. So you do videos, but what is, so there's lots of firms out there who would say, yeah, we do videos, we do creative work. What sets you guys apart?
0: Yeah. I mean, the sword we die on is story. So we're storytellers. And as we get into my personal background, that may make more sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, And- Story is a bit of a buzzword. I think a lot of people will use that to describe what they do in the creative field and not saying that they don't do that. But uh, for us, um, every every single thing we do is rooted in, in the power of story and believing that people don't make any decisions without a story attached to it. Every decision people make is emotional and even logical people. I'm, a, I'm an INTP on the Myers-Briggs. I'm a pretty logical guy, but even logical people get emotionally attached to their logic. And so when you're appealing to, even when you're appealing to logic, you're appealing to their emotion at some level. So uh, I believe that data and facts just can't create an emotion, but story can.
1: Yes, yeah. So you're, from a story perspective, you do see it everywhere now, but I think you guys were the OGs. I mean, you guys, you know, really have been talking about story for a long time.
0: Yeah, there's. A, I mean, there's a, the technical aspect of what we do. So we've we've made seven feature films and Super Bowl commercials. So we obviously know how to like run a camera and lights and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And that's um, there are people that don't have that technical skill, and we do. Uh, but that's not our differentiator. It's it's the work that's done before the lights come on.
1: Okay, yeah. great. Now your career has been a wild ride. Yes, it's been um, so interesting, and I want to hear about that. But. um, it, Let's talk about your, you know, kind of your first thought, you know, when you were a little boy or when you were really thinking about what do I want to be, what was your, what what were you, uh, were you wanted to be a fireman like everybody else or or was it something no. else?
0: I always wanted to have a not dangerous job. A not dangerous job. So fireman job. wasn't up there.
1: A rebel, yet a risk averse rebel. <laughs> yeah,
0: for okay. sure. Uh, no, I was sort of an anxious kid and became an anxious adult, uh, but, but uh, so a lot of the... I like the idea of taking risks that don't actually physically hurt you. Those okay. are my favorite kind of risks. Okay. So I'm not going to jump right. out of an airplane, okay. but I've taken major career risks. Um, so I, I think as a kid, I was always a, I was a creative kid and a performer and uh, grew up in the, in the church. And so I had attention uh, from as early as I can remember when people would ask me what I wanted to do uh, between going into uh, church work, becoming a pastor, and doing something in a creative field um and i would say a lot of this might have been in my own head i don't want to blame anyone around me as a kid but I, it was pretty clear that more people in my sphere of influence as a, as a child were prouder of me and felt were more excited when i said i wanted to do church stuff
1: and you react and you responded well to that approval.
0: Yeah, and I was good at it. I was a performer, so the idea that I could grow up and be a preacher wasn't hard for people to imagine.
1: So how old were you when you first stood up in front of a congregation and delivered a sermon?
0: <laughs> I'm so glad YouTube wasn't around. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, okay, for a lot of reasons, I'm glad social right. <laughs> media wasn't around when I was younger. Yeah. I
0: mean, I was young, 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 like nine or ten years old. Really? And uh, so there's, yeah, there's part of it that is, that I talk to my shrink a lot about that we probably don't want to get into here, but um but yeah, I would, you know, I stand up for a couple minutes on like youth Sunday, and I would be the kid that would come up and do a three or four minute talk and sermon or whatever they would call it. I'd wear a suit. It was a pretty traditional church in Eastern Kentucky, so it was, uh, you know, not a, not a progressive hotbed of
1: thought. So when you, <laughs> so so going back to that, you know, you're nine or ten years old, which you know, standing up in front of a group makes most people five times that age break out in a cold sweat. So here you are, nine or 10 in your little suit and you're standing up in front of all these people. Um, how did that, it, did you love it? Did, you, did it make you nervous? You know, what was what was the energy like going on in you when you did that?
0: Yeah, it's, it's weird and I, I still don't know how to talk about things that are natural, like some people would use the word gifts or talents, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I am an introvert and there's only two times I'm ever comfortable when I'm completely alone. <laughs> And when I'm in front of a lot of people,
1: a lot of introverts are like that. Yeah. Most actors and comedians and stuff are yes. actually introverts.
0: And which I ended up doing all that. But I think it's because I yeah. think we have control. Yeah. So and typically, it's a huge over over generalization. But introverts are observers, typically a little yep. more than extroverts. Yep. So we spend our whole lives watching everybody else, and we we then have things to say. But we're so used to not talking, we just let everybody else talk without saying the things. So I think that's why many introverts might become writers, um, but a lot become performers because it, it gives us the opportunity to do what we love the most, which is to say what we think without you talking back,
1: which yeah, is great. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're getting heckled or something like yeah, that. Yeah, which is fun. Yeah, which is fun. <laughs> so you go, so so you're nine or 10, you go to school to become a pastor?
0: Yes. I go to, uh, it was called Cincinnati Bible College mm-hmm. at the time, Cincinnati Christian University. Um, my family moved from... Ashland, Kentucky, to Columbus, Ohio, when I was uh, going into eighth grade, so 12, 13 years old. Um, but the church thing, we found a church there, and it continued. Um, and it, one of the things that taught me is I really liked cities more than, uh, you know, rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it came time to choose, I, I, I really, as it got into high school, didn't... I had a deep, deep... Um, unspoken wonderment as if I really wanted to do the ministry stuff, but it was very unspoken and very sort of buried. So I, I can barely remember thinking it except knowing mm-hmm. it was way down there
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, because I was getting such uh, a claim for doing, for going that route. And and I did like it. And at the time, I think I, I, uh, I was uh, an evangelical kid and believed that it was the best way to use my life, basically. Um, so yeah, I, I uh, had a full ride to a great college in Tennessee called Milligan uh, and went to visit and just couldn't imagine living in the in the woods okay. for four years. So ended up, to my parents' uh, partial dismay, even though it was closer, taking the two years instead of four years uh, and going to CCU. Um, so yeah, I went to, uh, it was a Bible college and a seminary together. I never actually did the, the master's work that would technically be a seminary, but Sometimes I just tell people I went to seminary because mm-hmm. it makes more sense in the vernacular. Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. okay. But I got
0: a degree in um, biblical studies and Christian ministry. It was my degree.
1: Okay, and then what?
0: Then I moved to Vegas. Okay. Actually, got married first.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, because in Bible college, you get married pretty quickly. Okay. For right. obvious reasons. And then perhaps. you go to
1: Vegas. I mean, it's the old story. I mean, who doesn't go to Bible college then go to Vegas?
0: Correct. It's a it's a trope. <laughs> Everybody does it. Uh, Vegas, uh, was the fastest growing city in the country through, through my, uh, through my experience at Bible college, I decided I wanted to, uh, and of course I'm 22, so I've got it all figured out. Of course. I I want to be, yes. yes. I want to be a senior pastor. I want to be a church planter, which if you aren't familiar with that world means you're going to start a brand new Mm -hmm. church. I was in, um, a tradition, a Christian tradition that didn't have an organized denomination. So, uh, it's, it was sort of like the wild west of, uh, Denominations, and you can kind of do whatever you wanted because each okay. church was autonomously led. Um, which, at the time, Speaks felt to great. The rebel, yes, that was exactly. great. That part was yeah. great. As I got older, older, might have could used a little more uh, <laughs> less freedom, but yeah. Um, so no, my my uh, friend from my youth pastor had gone to Vegas to start a church, and I went to be his intern for a year to learn church planning. And the whole plan was to come back and start a church with. Uh, my other mentor, uh, who was in New York City, so Debbie and I got married when we were twenty and twenty-one. Plan was to move to Vegas for a year and then move to New York and plant a church. Uh, and we ended up loving Vegas, and some things happened with that church that made it obvious that our skill sets fit there. So we ended up there for ten years instead of one.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you were in Vegas, you planted a church, it grew, and then your career took another turn
0: yeah I think um and it was uh, of, of of all the transitions in my life, this was the hardest, and um i uh I have depression that I deal with, and that was the moment in my life I realized it um and i I had never really taken the time. And I think it's quite understandable. I don't beat myself up for it because I was young, but I'd never taken the time to actually sit down and think if I really believed the stuff I was telling everybody else. Mm,
1: Interesting. So, a real crisis of conscience, faith. Yeah, all that. Everything. All that. Yeah.
0: Um, And this is a bit of a pattern in my life, too. And it was working. So, like, um, a lot of the transitions I've made have been when people, when it makes no sense to transition out. Like, I'd done the hard work of building it to that point. If I wanted to sort of continue in that job forever probably could have worked. Um, but uh, there were a couple years where I think because I was young that uh, I tried to just get everybody else to get where I was mm-hmm. and most people didn't want to go there. So it ended up becoming a struggle. And then the, the big transition, which Debbie and I didn't see coming was um, I had always been interested in uh, improv comedy mm-hmm. and uh, Saturday Night Live was a huge fan of that. And when I said in high school, I had like kind of these... Deep hidden thoughts mm-hmm. uh as an evangelical kid my my biggest rebellious thought was to go into sketch comedy, okay, um so <laughs> that was much more appealing than drugs, although they're connected turns out okay that's a whole other story yeah. though. okay um but no, so debbie my wife knew that, and she got me uh th- the second city uh had a a show in Vegas at the Flamingo Hilton, and they had a training center there, so She got me for Christmas one year, I think 13, 14 years ago, uh, classes to the Second City to to learn to do improv comedy. And uh, I always say that the day I walked into that, it was a studio on Industrial Avenue off the Strip where they stored showgirl costumes. Uh, And it was like a ballet studio, so there were mirrors everywhere. And I walked in, I met 12 strangers and my first instructor, Michael Hartnett. And uh, within 10 minutes, I was like, oh, this is where people like me end up. Like Mm -hmm. I never felt more home yeah. In my life than I did at the Second City.
1: But, you know, I think that that careers like yours, and it had some more turns in it, as I know, um, but careers like yours where, you know, you're following a combination of your gut, um, what the market or what other people tell you, what other people see in you, and you try things out um, those are on the surface so you say you went from being a, a pastor to being an actor and an improv comic there's 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 similarities there sure it's you told me one time that you found that you loved the part of being a pastor where you were actually standing in front of a group and doing that, but you didn't like the other stuff. You didn't like the counseling people one on one. You didn't like the administration. You liked being the entertainer. And so, coming out of your childhood, you, the only way you knew of to be an entertainer was to stand in front of a group at church. Correct. Right. And so, you follow that, and then you go to Vegas, you follow that path, and then you find another way to be who you are in another capacity, another venue, which was stand up comedy. And it's interesting. You—it's almost like you have to be there to be here to be there. Mm-hmm. And you had to go through what you went through to get to standing on that stage. And all of a sudden, like you said, you feel like, ah, this is where I'm supposed to be for right now. Yeah, yeah.
0: And for sure, it was a hobby, and it—it it just felt like the—it felt like the therapy that was getting me through. Because I knew I knew that I shouldn't stop being a pastor. Okay. But I didn't know what I was going to do, and it—I it, had no idea that my hobby would connect to. That
1: so your your improv comedy work ended up being a source of a kind of therapy for you.
0: Oh, for sure. Okay, yeah. and became um, I use this sort of language to people that can understand it and receive it. Sort of became a, a religion to me in a sense. Mm-hmm. So the tenets of improv um, were um, there's great irony. There's there's lots of irony to pull out of the story, but when the pastor goes to learn comedy and finds himself, mm-hmm. you know, so. The first rule of improv is is to say yes and and to agree and accept, and then from there you heighten and explore. And there's a lot of lot of what turns out to be teaching about mindfulness and presence and listening, um, and um, empathy. And so, while the purpose, well the intended purpose is to be funny or to tell a funny story in improv, it ends up making you, I think, a, a more a like more likable <laughs> person, okay, a more uh, well rounded person. Um, and it was the first time in my life I ever succeeded at anything that wasn't church.
1: Mm, okay.
0: um, and so I think, and I've met a lot of people like this. I'd, I'd, uh, I'm I, slightly nervous about this podcast because every time I talk about it, I will get <laughs> lots of uh, people reaching out to me, which is fine. And you can, uh, but there there are way more people than I think we realize who uh, grew up in a religious situation, were, were decided to go that route. Um, and realize at some point in their career that they don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, uh, on the surface, not a very transferable uh, degree.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: So what what do you do with a theology degree when you decide you want to go into the marketplace? Um, it's it's really, really hard transition for people. And
1: you had to, because you can't... Right, you can't it's hard to take that background and apply to traditional jobs and traditional employers, yeah. and so what you end up doing generally is doing something like you did, which is forge your own path, yeah, and figure out, like you said, you know, I love the performance part of preaching, and how can I take And and I'm sure it wasn't even, especially at that age, it wasn't even a conscious thought. But you took the, I love to be in front of people, and and, and I'm comfortable. That's my place, Mm -hmm. up in front of people. And I can do that. I can take that part of me to a different place, to a different audience, on different topics. And so this is all part of, as we talk about on The Evolved Career, your evolution as a human, then – has to line up with your evolution in your career because you can't. You, we can't live in silos. We have to bring those things together. Yeah. So you went through your improv classes. Yep. You did, as far as we know, did not join the cast of Saturday Night Live.
0: I, no, but <laughs> so I We can fill hours of sad actor stories from here okay. on out if you'd like. But uh, my uh, uh, two of my teachers did. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, uh huh. was one of my teachers okay. and. Um, Joe Kelly became a writer on SNL. Okay. Kay Cannon, one of my other uh teachers, uh wrote the Pitch Perfect movies and uh-huh. New Girl, and she's okay. killing, she's one of the top three
1: Fantastic.
0: I can brag on Kay for a bit. So she yeah. uh, so she uh there's a lot of qualifiers, but her movie Blocked that came out uh last year. So she is the uh is the most successful highest revenue movie ever. That was a comedy, a rated R comedy directed by a woman. Blocked. Blocked. Used to be cockblocked. Okay. Uh, we can edit that out if we need okay. to. But um, oh,
1: I, I saw. Wait a minute. Probably I saw, saw it on that a plane. Leslie Mann. I did see it on a plane. Yeah, sure. It was funny. <laughs> yeah, John Man. Cena.
0: Yep, yep. It was yep. funny. So um, no, I never made it on SNL, but uh, it was <laughs> it was really fun to be uh, in that. To be one person away from all that stuff was kind of yeah. fun. So uh, how did you go from that?
1: Because you did some movies. I, I actually watched one of them. I believe you gave me the DVD <laughs> and I, you know, gathered my friends around, got a tub of popcorn. And, yeah. um, so how did you go from being that to being an actor?
0: Well, I, um, so there's a show in in Vegas uh, that is now running again, I believe, called Tony and Tina's Wedding. It yes, started in New York. Yes, oh my gosh, um, yes. It was the longest running continuous dinner theater show ever still. Um. And it's mainly improvised. So there's a a very small script, the wedding scripted, and then there's a two hour reception that's improvised. So they use improv actors for it. Um, and it was running at the Rio every single night. I was, some friends were auditioning for it. So I auditioned for it too. This was when I still had my pastor job and I, uh, I got it. So, um, one of the weird things about my acting career is that the first time I auditioned for everything, I got it. Okay. Um, which was like a cruel trick from Yes, the, yes exactly. So my first this movie, my easy. first TV show, my first commercial, my first stage play. So I, uh, this was my really first ever professional audition. And so I got it and was ended up working six nights a week at the Rio doing that show, um, playing the drunk ex-boyfriend of the bride. Okay, Michael excellent. Just, which was, again, a, a fun departure from... A fun story to tell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And from there, I, uh, for a while, was uh, an understudy in the Second City show. um, And uh, they did a show called Scriptless that I was in, which was all improv. Um, It started uh, from the show in Vegas. I got an LA agent because people... Agents would come in from LA, you know, just to go to Vegas. I okay. think and they went to a yep. show and one of them found me. And uh, so then I started auditioning every day in LA. Uh, it's a three and a half hour, four hour drive. So I would uh, drive in our family minivan uh, down to Hollywood and audition, uh, which so it's a four hour drive for a commercial audition. You might be in the room five minutes and then drive back. Then oh you get gosh. the call back the next wow. day. So I drive down for the call back.
1: Oh my heavens. And then
0: drive back and then had to get back at 6 p.m. for the show every night. Oh, so. Gosh. Uh, I did that for about a year and a half, two years. um, and was auditioning a lot uh, compared to other folks my age and my type, uh, which is great. Wasn't booking everything in L.A. Um, But at some point, um, after doing that show, I did, I think, over about 600 shows and then just realizing— 600 Tony and Tina's. Yeah. How many
1: ways can you play a drunken ex-boyfriend?
0: It's fine. You can do—you find find (laughs) your way. 600 ways. What's fun is you get to a place where, you know— I think coming from where I came from, I was just so, uh, happy to have that job Yeah. for the first 550 shows, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And then, then yeah. you kind of get to a place where it's weird, but you you can sleepwalk through it if you choose mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And I think we all noticed people would do that from time to time. And I, I, pr- I would pride myself on not doing that until I realized I did it a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, because um, the great thing about an improvised show is it's different every night, so right. that's a gift you give to people. And when I found myself doing bits I'd done the, the night before just because I thought they might work again and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I,
1: I, yeah, I'm, yeah.
0: It's a little hacky. i got to stop this. And you could argue the whole show the whole show's a little hacky, but uh, the cast when I was in it were amazing and we really wanted to take this form and make it as as good a show as we could for people. People so were it, paying it, 90 So over 600 bucks.
1: shows, <laughs> what skill or characteristic or what... You know, what is the your biggest either takeaway or learning or growth point from your 600 shows? Hmm. that you As you look back and go, man, that's where I learned this or yeah, that's, that's where a, I became good at this.
0: No one's ever asked me that exactly. People ask me what my improv takeaway is. But um, the biggest personal one for me was that I had a job that other people wanted and it wasn't at church. Okay. And I, I think I always thought if I didn't work at church, I would just get some crappy job that nobody wanted so why did you think that uh because i I think it's such a specialized thing that um and this is super common with people that would like to get out of that you know industry or whatever you call it you just don't believe you just you just feel like you're in such a bubble that surely what i do doesn't translate out there in the real world or i would just have to take some um which is fine for some people, but what I would call like a repetitive job mm-hmm. that, yep. where you just do stuff and get paid. And that yeah. seemed yeah. awful to me to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you started to get some confidence mm-hmm. that there was life for you Personally, after that, the ministry. There was
0: that, yes. And I, I think, um, I, I don't know, the biggest lesson is probably around the, the other great thing I got to do every single night was interact with tourists. <laughs> yeah. Um, six nights a week, talking to people from all over the country and just seeing... Uh, how much fun they had, and they were always nervous coming in because they knew it was an interactive show right, and they yeah. didn't want to. And But the interactions were all, often just one-on-one. Maybe one of the lessons is I was totally comfortable doing all the stuff I say I'm not comfortable doing in character. Mm-hmm. One-on-one stuff didn't bother me. Um, but just how much fun people would have and how they would love to be asked about their lives.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, that maybe began a learning, which I've, I've learned more since, is that most people just want to be noticed and seen. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? And you, yes. you can get, um, you know, you you can uh, really make people very, very happy mm-hmm. when you just ask Doesn't them take about much. themselves. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. Look them in the eye, ask them about themselves, and I think mm-hmm. that's true for all of us. Yeah. Um, nobody wants to be nobody wants to be invisible. So you you're ten years in Vegas, mm-hmm. and I know you did commercials. You made a movie. You're I mean you're in someone's movie. You really sort of danced around that whole entertainment world in Vegas and LA for how many years?
0: Yeah, so uh, we um, left Vegas and we lived in Orange County, but I was working in Hollywood for Mm -hmm. two and a half years. Okay, so in that end, I was in that industry was as my primary job for seven or eight years. I would say Um, the LA experience as an actor was um, higher stakes and. Uh, more interesting it's in, in a lot of ways um, way more stressful way less consistent so the, the great thing the thing I didn't know I had till I moved to LA was having an acting job that paid me every week
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it was always there um, so the idea that you I knew I was in like a gig, gig economy but it didn't hit me hard till we went to LA and,
1: so how was that with the anxiety and depression that you deal with
0: yeah, I think um, I can deal with anxiety and depression if my life feels exciting. But when it starts to feel like it might be falling apart or boring, okay. then I freak out. So the first year was just super. I mean, I'm on I'm on every stu- in every studio lot walking down. You know, some of the cast ages are on Hollywood Boulevard. So mm-hmm. you're like walking past this, <laughs> the stars on the sidewalk going into an office. And, yeah. You know, and I had a lot of close calls. Every actor does, and uh, I was very close to getting on The Office several times. Once oh my as a, gosh. you know, once as a series regular, the the Andy part that Ed Ed Helms Ed got. Halscott. I was in probably the top five for that. Wow! And what would happen to me a lot because I I end up going to Hollywood late for an actor. I was thirty, um, which now sounds really young, insanely young. But <laughs> I know most people go when they're either eighteen or twenty two, right? So um, the good thing was I had learned. Uh, In that sort of job, you are the product. So I I had very much learned quickly how to market myself and uh, how to get my own auditions and work around my agent if I had to. And uh, played the game pretty well, enough to scrape uh, a living out of it. Um, But I was, uh, I think back to lots, there were lots and lots of moments where I was one or two people away from... Making it is a weird way to say it, but from yeah. knowing I wouldn't be here talking to you. Right. I'm just thinking how dramatically that would have changed yeah. my life. And honestly, there's most times I'm glad it didn't happen because okay. I'm pretty happy now. Yeah. Um. But sometimes I wonder if it had. Yeah, where sure. Did. But because of my comedy background, I would almost always book improv stuff. And so there were tours out there where you could go for four or six weeks. I did one of those. Um, but it's hard with young kids. Um, And so I I was known as like, I was, I think like the agents would think of me as here's, here's like a next level guy that um, he's not Jason Sadek, right? He didn't make it on SNL. He's not famous. But if you just need a solid comedic improviser guy, this is a good guy to go with. It was harder to parlay that into what improv people call straight acting, Mm -hmm. like really memorizing things and being a real actor. right I had a few acting classes, but um, I would always say like, I'm an improviser pretending to be an actor. So yeah. I would just convince myself I was an actor and it sort of worked.
1: So w- was there was there something that happened that caused you to say, okay, I'm done with this. It's time to move on to something else. Was there a moment or was it just a, an evolution?
0: I think uh, there was the strain, the economic strain of living in Southern California um, and having young kids. Um, Debbie, my wife, uh, had a full-time job and she had to for us to survive and I think um, seeing that she was working more hours than I had hoped she would when we had little kids at home, probably, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. And mm-hmm. um, and then just, I think, um, realizing, well, it probably ties into the movie thing. I, I, I began to realize that um, if I wanted to be an actor, I probably needed to do that, needed to do what I was doing for at least five more years um struggle and mm-hmm. then i just felt like I, I if i could have the staying power uh then i i would m- make it. Mm-hmm. I may not ever be famous, but i could yeah. make six figures. Um and i just realized i don't i don't think i want it that bad.
1: Yeah. I don't yeah. want it that
0: bad to give yeah. most of my 30s to yeah. just waiting for
1: it. Yeah. So there's this this you know we all have those moments and we have several of them throughout our careers when we wonder is this all there is. Mhm. Or, um, you know, I see what the next step is, but I'm not sure if that's what I want. So those 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 moments of reflection, um, unfortunately, most people stuff those away and ignore them, mm-hmm. and keep moving forward. Because to answer to 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 figure out how to move on, um, forces the answer, the asking and answering of some very hard questions about yourself and your career. And as humans, I don't know that we really enjoy asking those questions, answering those questions, because Mm -hmm. they're hard, you know, (laughs) like like everything. So is that, so you picked up and moved?
0: So an opportunity then arose, um, and uh, it was to go back into church work. Okay, And it was uh, here in Cincinnati at the Vineyard Church, uh, and uh, they were looking for a teaching pastor, which uh, it's a big five, six thousand person church, so it would be... Speaking like once a month when, you know, the yeah. uh, the senior pastor's off. Um, uh, I had not done church work, honestly wasn't really going to church. Um but uh, there was something about it that was appealing to me. The vineyard had a great reputation of some of my critiques of megachurch. It purposely uh butted against those, uh gave a lot of money to the poor, really taught people to be um generous. Um and it uh they first A friend of mine who worked there first approached me and said, this job's perfect for you. And I said, no, no, thanks. I don't do church work anymore. And then six months later, I was like, if that job's still open, I think I want to talk to them. So I emailed them and said, hey, um, I think I might want to talk to you about that job if it's still open. And we got an email right back that says, hey, we're in Anaheim for a convention. Come have dinner with us tomorrow. So it was a weird, serendipitous, mysterious thing. right, yes. Um, And immediately quickly bonded with everyone there. It felt like, um, it just felt like, it didn't feel overly religious. And I felt like I remember telling myself like this all makes sense now. Right. Cause it's like the hero's journey or something like I'm always destined to be a pastor and probably in Cincinnati where I started. So I have to go on this 13 year journey of starting a church and not liking it and becoming an improviser and an actor and starting to make movies and then realizing, Oh, I'll just go back to what I was always supposed to be. And now that I got it out of my system. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it felt that way for about a year. And then I realized yeah. I just, no, it's just yeah. that um, yeah. this isn't a good career for me. The it,
1: core of who you are yeah. didn't change. No. And I think, you know, we when you look at everything that you've done, if you laid it all out side by side, in each of those roles, you're the same person.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, we just use our skills and gifts differently in the role, but there's common threads among all those. It, and sometimes returning back to that and is is the purpose of that was probably just to remind you. Mm-hmm. That that really is in your past. It's a part of who you are, but it's the foundation of what you've become versus what you have to stay.
0: Yeah, and I don't. I think I always would have wondered if I hadn't. Yeah, and I will say this because there's probably vineyard folks that'll listen to this. So it was a great. I was there almost five years, and it was great. Um, and there were many things I loved about it, and I was given a huge opportunity. And again, I found myself having a lot of people's dream job and just didn't end up really wanting it in the end.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and so it was a very hard decision. It was also the first real job I had where I made enough money to not worry about I wasn't they weren't overpaying me or I wasn't rich, but I made I wasn't worrying about rent or right. anything like yeah. that. So it was like hard to leave.
1: Yeah, and sometimes a, I mean because you'd struggled so much in yeah. LA, then you come back here, it's almost like that. That five years was a resting point for you to just sort of breathe a little bit. Yeah, until I think your so. And, thing. and
0: I think there was some, for lack of a better word, spiritual healing. I think if I hadn't had the relatively mostly positive injured experience, that uh, I would have become more and more jaded towards religion in the church. Um, but um, I think I, I very much needed it. Um, and, I, you know, every I still speak at churches every once in a while, so it's, yeah. it's still part of my thing yeah, that I do. Yeah, but it's on
1: your terms, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. under a structure. You probably get to propose the topics and, Hopefully, you know, yeah. maybe put some put a rebel spin or on I'll everything. Or I'll just say, you don't
0: want me talking about that. Get yeah. Me, yeah right.
1: <laughs> or just get up there and start talking. Right. Maybe bring the hook up and take you off.
0: Yeah. I will, yes. I will say this, and I don't know if anyone else will resonate in your audience, but even to this day, it is weird to think that I do think the skill that I'm the very best at is – preaching and it's really not part of my career and there are moments where I think that gets uh frustrating and try so um but it just happens that the jobs that offer that for me uh lead to my depression and anxiety and it doesn't work for me yeah
1: yeah um
0: so and I've met a few other people will say like um you know I have a friend who's one of the best graphic designers I know, but he hates it, so he's doing something else. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, the thing, the actual skill set you are the very, very best at, maybe one of the best in the world. Sometimes you just realize it's killing me.
1: So, and... so let's let's redefine career because mm-hmm. I think this is really important. Yep. It is part of your career because yep. you do it. So yep. your career is a collection of the things that you do. Yeah. Um, the things that you do maybe outside of the home. Mm-hmm. So if you coach youth basketball or you, you know, preach once in a while, mm-hmm. it's a part of your career. So it doesn't have to be the things that make up your career don't have to be on a prescribed path or don't have to be things you get paid for. Yeah. And so what you've said is, so I look at like a career, like a portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so you've just talked about your friend who does graphic design, mm-hmm. who hates it. So he has to Rebalance his career portfolio with something else, mm-hmm. which raises his whole level of happiness. Mm-hmm. There are things we're good at that we don't like to do, or we're burnt out on, mm-hmm. and there's things that um, we like to do that we aren't good at, which are things like people will never pay us for, like so American
0: this, Idol singers.
1: Exactly, that's so, what I always think of. I yeah. mean, most of us who like to sing are, are but aren't good at it, are mm-hmm. self aware enough. To sing at home or in the shower with the windows rolled up. The ones who aren't like that end up on American Idol. Yeah. in <laughs> um, part of like the the, the blooper, the reels, right, you know, yeah, 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 of, yeah. of right. oh, my gosh, can you believe that person no, thinks he can sing? Yeah, yeah, Could yeah. they really think that? <laughs> yeah. So so the the I think that preaching, it's a part of who you are. Therefore, it's a part of your career. But you've had to redefine how, when, and where you will do it. Because you are very, very good at it. I've seen you. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a part of who you are, but it's not. You had to find. Uh, let shall we just say the right percentage of your time and career portfolio to devote to that. Yeah. For you, and it looks different than Fred down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, and and but that's okay because it's Fred. yours. Dad, that guy. Fred, always <laughs> preaching all the time. Oh, Fred. One hundred twenty percent of the time. So your career portfolio is Joe Boyd's. Yeah. And Joe Boyd's only.
0: And I, I think I yeah that. Thank you. I got a little I, free I therapy. Mean, I appreciate all that. I get that. Yeah. I
1: mean, but you—it it takes courage to put that together. It really does take that pilgrimage, yeah. that journey before you can pull it all together. And then, oh, guess what? In like two years, something's going to change. You're going to yeah, I don't like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really this rebalancing. Of your career portfolio, it has to be an ongoing sort of thing because you, as a human, are constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. And so there's never—it's depressing, but there's never an end of the road, really, when it yeah. comes to your career.
0: You know that's great, and I—I I didn't think we talk about this stuff as much as we have in, in terms of the like church and religious stuff. But at you saying that, and I'm not—I'm not saying this is true of anywhere I ever was, but the hardest place that, to let people evolve is religion because it's a threat. So if people evolve in some of the things they believe, anywhere else, if you work at P&G and decide you don't believe in a literal virgin birth, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: Nobody cares. Yeah.
0: But if you're yeah. a pastor and decide that in some denominations, you get fired. And yeah. that's just for something you decide you believe. Yeah. So uh, I think that that was part of the, the high, I don't even know if it's high stakes, but the there are certain subcultures, I'm sure, even outside of religion, where it's so important that you are aligned with what. They tell you you have to believe. And when you realize you're not is when I realized I, I can't do this. I can come in and out and be helpful.
1: But. You know, it ha- and, and and it takes a lot of courage to walk away from that, mm-hmm. especially if you've been raised in it and marinated in it, mm-hmm. to say this isn't me anymore uh, it, it, and then to have the courage to do something else. I think a lot of people say, well, wait a minute. That means there's something wrong with me Yeah. instead of I've changed and grown What's wrong What's wrong with me? No, you've just changed and grown. And I think we all do that. And we need to applaud people who do that because that's where we find, you know, our greatest gifts and our greatest power and can make our greatest impact on our world. Mm-hmm. And so now your impact is through Rebel Pilgrim, the creative agency. Yeah. And you still do preaching sometimes. And I know you still do improv sometimes.
0: I do. For so it's, it's back to a hobby again. Pull, which is,
1: yeah, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, it's great. You've pulled it all together
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a way that works for you today. Yeah. So where are you going to be in 10 years? <laughs>
0: uh, you know, I don't know. What's your next Ho- move? Hopefully. Uh, so I've been at Rebel for eight years, and it's the longest job I've ever had. Okay. And one of my decisions when I started it, I was 38, was like, I, I like to try to do that thing where you don't leave something every two years. <laughs> um, so I still hope to be uh, part of Rebel. Um, and uh, we've, we've created a construct where I think as we grow, I, I can get to be a little more rebellious within the system and maybe lead some lead some things that are um, a little more out of our own initiatives. So right now, 90-some percent of what we do is helping other people tell their story, uh, client work in essence. Um, and I, I see us getting to a place where we develop more of our own projects. Um, and that's that's really exciting to me.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah. So you're going to continue to evolve where you are.
0: That's my hope. I, yeah. I, and I, I realized I needed that because um, – However you define career for most people uh it was becoming challenging for me to 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 move so much sure. um physically cities and also just industries um because though it all made sense to me, it didn't make sense to anyone else, and so it became harder and harder to not have like an umbrella home base for me yeah. I'm also an entrepreneur uh like can't stop uh, so i'm I'm just wired a certain way and in Enneagram seven. I don't know if you are or anyone's I into the, the Enneagram. Same, yeah, yeah seven of also. course you are. So uh, the idea of uh, this Enneagram seven is very driven by opportunity. So um, that's part of why I loved acting in L.A. was every day was an opportunity, even though I, I missed on ninety percent of them. It yeah, was the, I would rather miss on ninety percent than not have any.
1: Right, right.
0: So I, I think I'm always going to be wired to how can I how can I create some measure of stability uh, for me, and I love giving people jobs that they love. Um, so I'd like to see Rebel grow to a place where more people can work there and love it and have jobs. Um, and then I, I still have the opportunities to do stuff I haven't done before to do stuff better.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. You ready to play two questions, one deep and one shallow?
0: Yes. Which one's which?
1: <laughs> Hopefully you'll be able I'll, to tell I'll them try apart. To make, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's start with the shallow one. What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever worn?
0: Oh, it's going to be deep and unfortunately, so, uh, I wore cargo shorts and uh, which is embarrassing these days anyway, but this was in the 90s and a t shirt to officiate a funeral. I told Why? you it would be deep because I forgot about it.
1: Oh, <gasps> you forgot about the funeral? Yelp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, no. Was so it like at a, a fancy, it was at someone's house, and most of them weren't dressed up
0: either, but it was awful. Um, you, but you wanted you, like a funny you, answer, like I had a did, starter no, no, jacket no, no, or something. No, 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 that's <laughs> okay, good. Yeah.
1: Did you tell them that that's... Oh,
0: yeah, I was super apologetic and it was, I, I can oh. just feel that. I've only been fired once in my life. That wasn't it. Uh, the other one was, <laughs> I did work at the Luxor Wedding Chapel as an officiant oh. when I when I quit my, uh, <laughs> I quit my pastor <laughs> no. job in, um, and you got paid $50 a wedding. You did four weddings an hour. It was a good job back in the day for yeah. me, but I felt conflicted about it anyway. It was weird. And then again, I I forgot a wedding, didn't show up, so I got fired. You forgot. So oh, okay. I had I had some serious time management issues. You
1: clearly did on both ends, yeah. the marriage and the funeral. At least you weren't doing a christening. Yeah, and forgot to show up. Then you would have the entire lifespan. Covered. Correct. Yes. A bris.
0: I should have tried it all. I should have missed everything. <laughs> Cargo uh,
1: shirts. Yeah, that's good. So
0: yeah, that oh that was uh, awful. And then basically everything else I wore in the nineties.
1: Yeah, 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 pretty much. So. Yeah. Again, we're so glad social media wasn't really around then because our most embarrassing moments of life have not been recorded.
0: You always have that one friend that decides to upload their pictures from high school on oh, Facebook.
1: Yeah, your yeah. bad hair.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. So we'll end with our with our uh, deep. Th- so that was our that was my shallow question. Yet. It was also uh, an embarrassing moment. Question. Sure. So, okay. Um, what breaks your heart? Um,
0: thinking, um, people who aren't uh, empathic, and uh, people who make judgments on, uh, especially groups of others that they've never met.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, I'm, this roots into my story, I'm sure. But I have a lot of LGBTQ plus friends and. To see some of my evangelical Christian friends who don't have any gay friends at all just make broad assumptions is hard for me, I think.
1: What do you do about it when you hear that?
0: Do you I think you it? De- no, I mean, it depends. Uh, I don't have time or energy to challenge it, them often. Uh, I mean, it's also with politics and racism and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Uh, but it's, um, my favorite my favorite quote ever, and I'm not sure actually who it belongs to, I've seen it credited to a few people, including a theologian named N.T. Wright, is uh, that the wisest people in the world know they're wrong about something, but they don't know what it is yet. Mm. They think they're right about it. And to go through life with that, mm. to know that there's something that I am sure I'm right about. If, I, if everyone would just agree to that one point, there's something I think I, I believe right now that I'm actually wrong about, but I don't know what it is yet. Right and that gives you this sort of humility to go through life and to ask yourself the question oh is this the assumption mm-hmm. that I was maybe not wrong, right mm-hmm. about yeah and when i when i interact with folks that can't even get close to that um i think i'd spend a lot of time just not choosing not to be in a relationship with a lot of people like that but when it's a very close friend of course i'll i'll find a way to talk about it mm-hmm. i hate conflict but
1: yeah some some things are worth it Yeah. Thank you for coming in today. How can we learn more about Rebel Pilgrim?
0: Uh, You can go to our website. It's on the World Wide Web.
1: (laughs) It's on that. But
0: you'll have to find an internet portal. I don't know if your folks have, like, computers and stuff.
1: (laughs) My folks? Hold on. (laughs) Could you just call me old or out of not know. no, it's just a joke. Come on. Okay. All right.
0: Um, Rebelpilgrim.com. Just spell Pilgrim right. How about that? Because people spell it with an A. So P-I-L-G-R-I-M.
1: They do. Okay.
0: And... uh, I'm on the Twitters as my name, Joe Boyd. Um, And we can be Facebook friends if you don't post political stuff. You can find me there
1: too. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I continued good luck to you on your pilgrimage, Mr. O.G. Rebel.
0: Thank you. You're the best.
1: If you enjoyed meeting the Evolved Careerist on today's episode, well, we've got a lot more lined up for you. Subscribe, tell your friends, rate us and write a review. And of course, follow us on social media. But if you're interested in learning more about how you can evolve your career, you can contact us through theevolvedcareer.com or thebaukegroup.com. And that's B-A-U-K-E. Do you know somebody who'd be a great guest who has a great career story to tell? Or do you think you qualify? Then email me. My email address is in the podcast description. Until next time, here's to your career happiness.